welcome again to Hope Awakens. So happy to have you with us again. If this is your first time with us, tonight's program is actually number 13. And I'm sure you'd want to catch up on the previous great topics we've had so far, as they do build on each other. To do that, just go to our website, hopeawakens.com.au. Click watch now and then scroll down to the catch up section. And if you missed our last decision card, all you have to do is text the code word ALIVE. So text ALIVE in Australia to 0428 833386. If you're in New Zealand, text ALIVE to 875. So there's still time to do that and follow the instructions. Tonight's program, Survival Keys for Challenging Times, will be incredibly practical. I know you're just going to love what John will be sharing with us. But let's first go to Gary Webster, who will be sharing some viewers' questions again tonight. Over to you, Gary. Hi, Rebecca, and great to be with you and with our viewers again tonight. Wow, you know, I just so much enjoyed John's last program, Experiencing Renewal. So inspiring and full of meaning, wasn't it? just awesome when you think about it now of course if you missed that particular program just go to our catch up section on our page and click on program 12 whatever you do don't miss it well there's some great questions again tonight that we have Rebecca first of all question number one Jesus never sinned so why was he baptised well that's a pretty good question indeed And let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. Let me just read it for you. But Jesus answered and said to him, that's John the Baptist, permit it or allow it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened up to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now you'll notice he was baptized for three reasons. One, to fulfill all righteousness, which included fulfill a prophecy. The prophecy was, of course, the one in Daniel 9, which predicted the coming of the Messiah when he would be baptized, and that's exactly what happened. Number two, to fulfill all righteousness meant to be an example for others. It's the right thing to do, and where to walk in Jesus' steps. And of course, baptism was the way that a person was right if he put his trust in Jesus, because the baptism pointed to Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so, Jesus was baptized, pointing to the day when he would die and rise again. And for those who put their trust in him, they come to a new life. As the heavens were opened for Jesus, we have access to the Father. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus. He comes on us when we give our life to him. And then what did it say? The voice was heard, this is my beloved son. And when you and I follow Jesus into baptism, in faith in Jesus... We too are the children, the sons and daughters of God. So this is why Jesus was baptized. Those three reasons. Question number two, what about reincarnation? I know some Christians that believe in that. Is that in the Bible? Well, good question indeed. 
Now, reincarnation is said to be like a recycling of the immortal soul. Now, let me read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 from the Bible. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now, clearly the Bible does not support the idea of a recycling of the soul. It says we die once and then the judgment. There are no second chances, no second rounds on the wheel, so to speak. This life is it. That's why it's so important to follow God now. Question number three, is it right to get rebaptized? Well, yes and no. (laughs) Let me explain. Yes, if you've not been baptized by immersion, then of course you need to be baptized by immersion, the correct way, the biblical way. And yes, if I walked away from God, so if you turned your back on God and everybody knew it, you need to put that old man to death again, as the Bible says. And yes, if I've learned significant new truth. Let me read you an interesting passage from the book of Acts, chapter 19, about Paul at Ephesus. Notice what it says. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Pretty important truth, isn't it? And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, Well, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you see, when these people in Ephesus learned significant new truth, and they were already Christians, they were disciples, when they learned that significant new truth about the Holy Spirit, they were rebaptized. And finally, No, if you made a mistake, you sinned. You see, you don't have to get re-baptized every time you make a mistake. Remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet in the upper room? When he came to Peter, Peter was so overcome that Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, was washing the feet of his fellow disciples. And he said, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus, no way you're not going to do that. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have a part. You can't have an inheritance with me. So Peter said, well, Jesus, wash me all over from my head to my foot. And Jesus said, no, Peter, if you've had a bath, you just need your feet washed. In other words, Peter, if you've been cleansed in that baptism, so to speak, you don't need to get rebaptized. Just have your feet washed. So there's the answer to that question. I hope that helps. Well, Rebecca, that's all we have time for this evening. Thanks for answering those questions, Gary. And please remember, if you have a question, get in touch with us. Send it through our website, hopeawakens.com.au. Click Watch Now, and then halfway down the page, there'll be a button titled Ask Question. We won't have time to answer them all, but if yours isn't answered during our program, please know that someone will contact you with an answer. Okay, well, let's go straight to John Bradshaw as he talks tonight about survival keys for challenging times. If the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us anything at all, it's taught us that life is fragile. Suddenly, people began dying, people who otherwise would have lived. 
While it seems we don't have a great understanding as to why this is, in some cases, even very healthy people have been lowered by the coronavirus. Friend told me about a 50-year-old marathon-running doctor who is on a ventilator seriously ill because of this illness. It isn't supposed to be that, that way. Average life expectancy in the United States is right around 78 and a half. You should be concerned because that's down a little. A child born today in Japan can expect to live on average to 83, longest of any country in the world. Of course, in the beginning, we were created to live how long? Forever. Early chapters of the Bible tell us about people who lived a long time. Methuselah lived to 969. Next, Jared, Methuselah's grandfather, lived in 962. Noah died at 950. Adam lived to be 930. And Seth, Adam and Eve's son, died at the age of 912. Today's 80 or so doesn't compare too well, does it? But it's true that more people are living longer. There are now about half a million centenarians in the world. People who've lived to 100 or older, close to 100,000 of them in the United States alone. Japan has fewer, about three quarters of that amount, But centenarians exist in Japan at about twice the rate they do in the United States. Although an expert on aging from New York City's Albert Einstein College of Medicine is adamant that 115 is the longest a person is going to live, the oldest person currently alive is a Japanese woman named Kane Tanaka, who is 117. She's the eighth oldest person ever in modern times. Now, that's verified, of course. A wonderful lady I know recently turned 110. She was taking classes on campus at Walla Walla University at the age of 99. So today, in the absence of a vaccine for COVID-19, in the absence of a plethora of effective drugs, what should you do? It's worth thinking about. The average U.S. male has a 40% chance of developing cancer during his lifetime. For women, it's just a little lower. That's true across the Western world. Massive amounts of people are coming down with diabetes. It's said that one in 10 Americans has diabetes. Again, that's about average for advanced countries. And then there's stroke and heart disease. About 650,000 Americans die from heart disease each year. One in four deaths. Heart disease costs the United States more than $220 billion a year. So what do you do? Do you accept this and roll on and just hope for the best? Well, that was never God's intention. And I want you to see that God has given you survival keys. No, there's no guarantee you won't die. You can't guarantee you'll delay your funeral. But God has a plan and we'll look at it together to give you the brightest future possible. Surely we want to do all we can to give ourselves the best chance against COVID-19 or or any other illness that threatens to not just cut our life short, but to compromise the life that we have. It's been said that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Or for those more comfortable with the metric system, 28.3495 grams of prevention is worth 453.592 grams of cure. But let's first understand that God has a plan for everyone including you. Jesus said in John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Back in 2013, Google created the California Life Company, 
Teleco. Its mission is to find out what it takes to live longer and to get people on that track. A Google engineer said that by 2030, computers the size of blood cells will be placed within humans and those devices will be connected to the cloud. He said a lot of our thinking will be non-biological and it will be backed up so that if part of it gets wiped away, you can recreate it. We'll be able to extend our lives indefinitely. He said that by 2045, humans will be able to live forever. Funny, isn't it? God has already given us the key to living forever. Jesus went on to say in John 6, 51, And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That is real health food. God wants you to get the most out of life. He doesn't want second best for you. He don't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive. It comes as a, as a surprise to many people to discover that God has a plan for you physically, emotionally, as well as spiritually. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But our challenge is that we spend an awful lot of time harming ourselves. We know a lot of what we eat is bad for us. California is putting warnings on coffee, saying it causes cancer. The World Health Organization has stated processed meat causes cancer. Alcohol is cancer-causing. We know the same is true for smoking. The average American consumes 70 pounds of sugar a year when the experts say we should be consuming less than a third of that. In England, a scientist from Newcastle University recently warned that millions of people who today are middle-aged will just 20 years from now be dealing with four major diseases. Multimorbidity, this is known as. That's for each person. Four for each one. Diseases such as cancer, diabetes, dementia. Britons are being warned that they're about to collide with these diseases. And the reason? Our diet and lifestyle. Obesity and inactivity. Things that we're doing to ourselves. In other words, things that could be avoided and prevented. Part of the problem is that we're not good at thinking ahead and disciplining ourselves. Eating this, drinking that, it's true. Even smoking this won't do you much harm today. But over time, it may kill you. You'll die early. You may well die miserably. Think about the people, and that's not all, of course, who are dealing with the pandemic and saying, I'm high risk, but if I'd made different decisions, I wouldn't be. Well, what's interesting is that the Bible says there's coming a time of trouble that is going to make this pandemic look like small stuff. A time of trouble that is going to make the inconveniences of isolation and social distancing look petty. Don't you think we ought to do all we can to prepare for that? You know we should. Which is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6... Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, you've heard people say, it's my body. Well, that's not quite true. It's God's. He owns it. And Jesus died for you. We were bought at a price. And people say, you got to die of something. Might as well die happy, except for one thing, you might have to die of something, but you don't have to die of everything. 
and precious few people die sick and happy. If you want to die happy, die in your old age with your grandchildren around you. If you want to die happy, die as healthy as you can be. You feel better when you feel better. And God's plan for you is that you prosper, that you do well. What many people don't know is this. There's a connection between our physical health and spiritual well-being. John wrote, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. See the connection there? Like the old saying, healthy body, healthy mind. God wants you to prosper spiritually and physically. Paul wrote, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Athletes don't train for success at Dairy Queen or McDonald's. It takes discipline to succeed in athletic events. It takes temperance to achieve at a high level. Control. The athlete who wants to win takes care of his or her body carefully. Paul says that in the same way, the believer is to discipline the body and bring it into subjection. What does that mean? It means that sometimes you see a piece of chocolate cake, you say no. You bring the body into subjection. You are tempted to drink something you know isn't good for you. You say no. You bring the body into subjection. The body ought to serve the mind, not the other way around. The same is true in other areas of life. Eating is just, well, eating is just about the one area where people feel it's okay to do whatever they want. We ought to make decisions that, no, we don't do that. Don't eat this. Don't drink that. If it's going to damage our health and therefore damage us spiritually. Notice Paul makes a very clear connection. He says that if he isn't temperate, he'll be disqualified. The King James says, cast away. The Greek word is adokemos, reprobate, not standing the test, lost. Paul connects temperance with spiritual health. Now, the thing is, I know it can be tough. There are some things that just taste so good, or so people think. And once you dip your toe into that pond, it's, it's not easy to keep yourself from plunging in at the deep end. So I want to show you some of the principles God has, because we have just learned it's really important to preserve your health in the best condition possible. Remember, God offers us eternal life and a more abundant life in this world. Revelation 14, 7, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. How do we give glory to God? Notice what this says. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What we put in our bodies affects the function of our mind. We're affected emotionally and spiritually. People getting ready for to spend eternity with God, well, that becomes tremendously important. Look at what Harvard Medical School published. Let me read this for you. Just like an expensive car, your brain can be damaged if you ingest anything other than premium fuel. If substances from low premium fuel, such as what you get from processed or refined foods, get to the brain, it has little ability to get rid of them. Diets high in refined sugars, for example, are harmful to the brain. 
in addition to worsening your body's regulation of insulin, they also promote inflammation and oxidative stress. Multiple studies have found a correlation between a diet high in refined sugars and impaired brain function, and even a worsening of symptoms of mood disorders such as depression. Isn't that something? Very interesting. The writer continues, Studies have compared traditional diets like the Mediterranean diet and the traditional Japanese diet to a typical Western diet, and they've shown that the risk of depression is 25 to 35% lower in those who eat a traditional diet. And then this is how the article ends. Try eating a clean diet for two to three weeks. That means cutting out all processed foods and sugars. See how you feel. Then slowly introduce foods back into your diet one by one and see how you feel. When some people go clean, they cannot believe how much better they feel both physically and emotionally and how much worse they then feel when they reintroduce the foods that are known to enhance inflammation. Everyone's involved in a battle for the mind. We've got a clear Bible example of how this works. An example of how the function of your spiritual nature is impacted by your physical nature. Long before he wrote the book of Daniel, a young Daniel was taken captive, taken as a slave, removed from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, where he was offered Babylonian food, which he knew he couldn't eat in good conscience. Daniel 1 and verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. When encouraged to eat the food offered by the king of Babylon, Daniel kept his body pure out of honor for God. As a result, he was able to deliver some of the most profound prophetic messages ever given. There would have been no book of Daniel if Daniel wasn't committed to the principles God gave him. He kept his mind clear, and so he excelled physically and spiritually. And God used him in an absolutely amazing way. Scientists tell us the frontal lobe of the brain is the seat of judgment, reasoning, intellect, and the will. Damage your brain, you damage your judgment, making it very difficult to have the relationship with God that he wants you to have. So what are some of the ways that we can damage our mind? Obviously, the Christian doesn't want to be using illegal drugs. They cause an immense amount of damage. They affect the mind. Thank God that he is able to give somebody victory over drugs that destroy the mind and the body. He's able to deliver people from addiction. Addiction is a monster, but a person can get clean. Opioid addiction is so difficult. In the United States, it's been claiming close to 50,000 lives a year. Opioids easily cause physical dependence. Hey, if you need help, get help. There are people who will help you. If you know someone battling addiction, keep in mind that addiction often just creeps up on people. It's very difficult. And pray, because God does great things. It's difficult. And not every addict is there because he or she was reckless and irresponsible. And even if they were, they'd still need help and prayer. But of course, there are legal substances which affect the mind and therefore lessen our ability to connect with God. A University of Washington study released two years ago stated that there is, and I quote, no safe level of drinking alcohol. The study showed that in 2016, nearly 3 million deaths globally were attributed to alcohol use. 
including 12% of all deaths in males between 15 and 49 years of age. Study after study has shown that if you're a drinker, there is no reduction in drinking that makes it safe. Even light drinking increases the likelihood of breast cancer in women. Binge drinking can alter your genes. The talk you hear about moderate drinking being good for you, God does not back that up. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Why would God say that? Because he knows and he wants the best for you. Here's what alcohol does. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Proverbs 23. We know alcohol is dangerous. Think of the traffic deaths and injuries it causes. So much domestic violence is alcohol-fueled. Prisons are full of people who've committed crimes under the influence. Alcohol is related to immorality. There is no question about that. Ah, you say, but didn't Jesus drink wine? What was it Paul told Timothy? Well, he said this. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Is it possible Paul could have been advising Timothy to drink alcohol for his upset stomach? Not in light of what the Bible says. Grape juice, sure, but alcohol? Grape juice may help us to settle an upset stomach, but Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, not so much. And then, of course, there's the wedding feast where Jesus turned water into wine. It's interesting people just assume that Jesus made alcohol. But the one who inspired the Bible writers to speak of the dangers of alcohol didn't recommend alcohol use. Of course he didn't create a hundred or more gallons of liquor at the very end of a wedding feast. The key you're looking for is right here in Isaiah 65. As the new wine is found in the cluster and one says, do not destroy it for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants sake that I may not destroy them all. Notice the Bible says there's a blessing in it when it's on the vine. Now that's grape juice. So look, No one wants to condemn anybody. I don't want you to feel condemned. I want you to get the keys to unlock some of this stuff. How can a person accustomed to drinking alcohol learn to live without it? Remember this, Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God has the power to deliver anyone from alcohol dependence or alcohol use. That's not to say you shouldn't get support, see a counselor, be part of a group. Those are good things to do. But the strength you're looking for to overcome this comes from God, and he will give it to you. Okay, I've just started meddling. Something else that damages frontal lobe function is nicotine. One in every five deaths in the United States is caused by cigarette smoking. Almost half a million deaths a year because of cigarettes. That's just one country. A study in the Netherlands showed that almost one in four heavy smokers don't make it to their 65th birthday, compared to one in 14 non-smokers who don't live to 65. Medical researchers say each cigarette shortens your life by 14 and a half minutes. Warnings on cigarette packets are graphic, and they are unambiguous. So what do you do when you want to quit? What do you want to do when you want to start again without this in your life? When you pray, you thank God he's able to get you off nicotine. Thank him that he will. And remember what the Bible says and claim what the Bible says. Back to Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ 
Who strengthens me? When you want to quit, turn to Jesus. Jesus is able to break those chains thoroughly and absolutely completely. Is a cigarette stronger than Jesus Christ? No, it certainly isn't. I want to suggest something to you. Now, listen very carefully. If you're going to quit nicotine, there's another in. If you want your mind to operate at optimum levels, you need to know about this. I care about you. Caffeine disrupts the chemistry of the brain by affecting levels of neurotransmitters that keep the brain in balance leads to a lot of different problems, even mental illnesses and disorders, including depression. Listen to what medical experts say. Caffeine is the world's most widely used mind-altering drug. That's from Johns Hopkins. What we have found is that caffeine interacts with stress and intensifies it. That's from Duke University. Caffeine is the drug of choice for nine out of ten Americans. Causes all kinds of problems. So let me remind you, when you're battling alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, some of these things are dragging you to an early exit. When you're not living the life God wants you to live, when you want to give it all to Jesus, when you know there's better for you, remember there's someone in heaven. He's there tonight. He died for you. Died to give you power and freedom from addiction, freedom from habits that will damage you. Jesus is more powerful than any addiction. Came to this world to give you life to the full. Give it to Jesus right now. Let him give you victory. He said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Life more abundantly. Yet we live in a very sick world. Health problems are getting worse. But notice what God said. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I've brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. When Israel left Egypt, they left behind a nation groaning under the weight of illnesses. Tests reveal Egyptian mummies, uh, individuals who died of illnesses that affect us today, illnesses like cancer and heart disease. But God said, hey, you listen to me and you'll be well and you'll enjoy good health. Today we're killing ourselves, digging our graves with our teeth. Hard to give glory to God while destroying the high point of his creation. Back in the beginning... God told Adam and Eve how to take care of themselves. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Until the flood, animal flesh wasn't to be eaten, wasn't in God's original plan. Worked out well. Methuselah lived to be almost a thousand. But from then till now, huge change. Was there reason in what God did? Oh, sure. Before the flood, Noah and his family and the animals got on the ark. God said, you shall take with you seven of every clean animal, a male and his female, to each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. After the flood, it was permissible to eat animals. God gave instruction, though. Why? Sevens and twos. Some of them Noah would eat when he got off the ark, perhaps. He wasn't going to eat anything unclean. He might want to sacrifice to God. And again, he wouldn't sacrifice an unclean animal. You saw the distinction between clean and unclean existed way back then, long before Moses. But God repeated the instruction to Israel. Look in the book of Leviticus. It says in verse 3, Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, 
that you may eat. Verse 4, nevertheless, these shall you not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but it doesn't have cloven hooves, it's unclean to you. So there you go. Camel is off the menu. Next verse says that rabbits are unclean. Verse 7 says, and the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, it doesn't chew the cud. It is unclean. Pigs are unclean. I saw a shocking report of a woman who was told she had a brain tumor. When the doctors opened her head and looked into her brain, they found a parasitic worm in her brain. No tumor, but a parasitic worm. How did it get there? It started with eating undercooked pork, which is frequently found to have these things in it. This is why God says, avoid pork, avoid the diseases of the Egyptians. Here's a thought. Wouldn't be any swine flu if people weren't eating swine. And if the current pandemic came from eating bats, if that were true, that's what they said way back then. That would be another indicator. It's better to leave that food alone. Now you say, wasn't this just for the Jews? Hold on a minute. No, it wasn't just for the Jews. It came along way before the Jews. The Bible also says it will still be important when Jesus comes back. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by the fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord will be many. Notice those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Did you notice that? It'll be an abomination when Jesus comes back. Now, back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 9. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that don't have fins and scales, all that move in the water of any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination. Now, what does that include and why? You know that crayfish and shrimp and crabs are bottom feeders. They eat the junk off the bottom of the seafloor. Oysters and other shellfish are filter feeders. They filter the water in the ocean and take out the impurities. So when you eat them, you're eating the impurities. People wanting to clean up Chesapeake Bay on the East Coast have been saying the best thing to do would be to put in lots of oysters. Each oyster can filter almost 50 gallons of water a day. And where does all that impurity go to? It ends up right on your plate. Verse 13, these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They're an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, they're unclean. You wouldn't want to eat one of these things at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Now, someone's asking, didn't it change at the cross? Well, let me ask you this. For whom did Jesus die? Did Jesus die to cleanse pigs? No, Jesus died to cleanse sinners. The pig the day before the cross is the same the day after the cross. And no difference between a Jewish stomach and a Gentile stomach. The blessing of good health and the blessing of a clear mind is for all people at all times. It's important that we learn to get over the habits that destroy body and soul. All right, all right. Stop the stop the presses. What about Peter's vision? Didn't he have a dream? Let's look at that together. It's in Acts chapter 10. Now, careful. 
Too many times there's a tendency to let one passage undo everything else the Bible says on something. So let's look at this carefully. Acts 10 verse 9. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. A voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. A voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. They called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Peter didn't understand what this meant. You know what happened, though? A Gentile was directed by God to send somebody to get this Jew and bring him to his house. Gentiles were considered unclean. Peter reflected on this and spoke to them, and he said in verse 28, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. Verse 34, Peter said, In truth, I perceive God shows no partiality. He's no respecter of persons. God was not telling Peter to eat anything on the menu. He was saying the gospel was to go to the Gentiles. Peter shouldn't make a distinction between people based on their race. God wasn't talking about the menu. He was talking about Peter's heart because Peter was bigoted. Peter was a racist. And God was telling him not to be, to take the gospel to people he had regarded as unclean. You know, the the thing was repeated three times. Why? Because Three people came to Peter. The Bible's clear. God won't withhold anything good from you. The enemy of souls, though, wants to ruin you. He's got a counterfeit for everything, including God's plan for good health. He says, just eat and drink. Do what you want. God says, do it to the glory of God. The devil says, obey your taste buds. The result is heart disease, cancer, stroke, minds that can't comprehend the things of God and wander aimlessly in the conflict of these last days. We've been privileged to live on the edge of the return of Jesus. And God wants to deliver you from whatever habit is holding you down. Is it something you're eating? God says, I can take that. Something you're drinking? God says, I can remove that. Is it something in your mind? Is it an attitude? Is it a desire? God says, I can deliver you. And I can give you now the assurance that you can look forward to everlasting life free from whatever habit is dragging you down. Let's pray for deliverance tonight. Some of us, we need to be delivered from what we're eating and drinking. For others, we need to be delivered about what we're thinking. Let's pray and know that God will save us and free us. Pray with me now, our Father and our God. How grateful we are for deliverance through Jesus. Deliver us from whatever it might be that's holding us down and keeping us back. Keep and bless us now. Thank you for freedom. Freedom in Jesus. We claim it and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. You might want to say with me, 
Amen and amen. Thanks for joining me. See you next time for more on Hope Awakens. God bless you. Wow, that was just fantastic, wasn't it? I like the fact that Daniel and his three friends followed God's health principles. And as a result, they were able to be God's ambassadors right through the Babylonian Empire and then on into the Medo-Persian Empire. Caring for their bodies as God's temple sure paid off for those young fellows. Now, we're so glad that so many of you are enjoying this incredible series of Hope Awakens. And we're also excited that so many want to learn more. Well, again, we're excited to announce that very soon we'll be offering a number of what we call masterclasses, where you'll be able to connect with expert teachers in various areas from all over Australia and New Zealand. Now, if you're interested in joining one of these masterclasses, Take out your phone right now and text this code word, LEARN, L-E-A-R-N. Now, if you're in Australia, text LEARN to 0428 833 386. And if you're in New Zealand, text LEARN to 875. Again, if you're in Australia, text LEARN to 0428 833 386. Or if you're in New Zealand, text LEARN to 875. And we'll send you a form with some topics that we'll be offering in these masterclasses. All you need to do is indicate which ones you're interested in and we'll let you know when and what classes will be offered. Well, Rebecca, back to you. And I'm sure our viewers will want to get tonight's free offer and the study guide. So how do they get it? Gary, I agree. That was a marvelous program. So practical. That's what I love about the Bible. It helps us in how to live our best lives from day to day. Now, to get tonight's free study guide and our free book offer, When the Lion Roars, just go to hopeawakens.com.au and click the free offer link. Well, that's it for tonight. We'll see you this coming Friday night at the same time for our next Hope Awakens program, The Next Superpower. Good night. God bless till we meet again this Friday night. Music.